0: But I thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that we have the privilege, like many people uh in the world, really don't to have such easy access to your word. I pray, Lord, that we would not take it for granted. I pray, Lord God, that we would see it as the treasure, as the pearl beyond price, um, as the treasure that is worth um really diving into um and encountering you there, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. so i uh as many of you know uh, i grew up alongside the sea and uh having grown up you know by the sea here's a picture of me and wendy my brother chris and his wife kate and uh having grown up by the sea my whole life until i moved to canada really uh, i'm in tri- I-, I i'm intrigued by the idea of the shoreline which is um a narrow strip of land that is Uh, revealed by the tide and then covered by the tide two times a day revealed and covered revealed and covered and the shoreline is magic because uh, along the shoreline is a whole ecosystem uh, or a world even and uh, and along the shoreline a whole industry of tourism has been created that thrives on this narrow strip of land that is covered by and then revealed by the tide. And so the question about the shoreline is, is it land or is it sea? And uh, in this place in between places called the shoreline, um, this is where we encounter Jesus in our text today. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, Mark 1, 16. Now just as a refresher we're three weeks into our epiphany series here at cornerstone and we're attempted or we're attempting to get You know better acquainted with with um, Jesus who we're calling the man of mystery and we're doing it By looking at him from different viewpoints first was herod and the magi last week was philip and Bartholomew or nathaniel and this week it's four more of the disciples and our key text For this series our goal as it were uh, is 2nd Corinthians 4 verse 6 which is to see the light of let's read it all together the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ that's our goal Uh, now as far as I could determine the Sea of Galilee wouldn't have tides like An ocean coastline Um, but they would have sudden storms that would arise as we read about numerous times in the gospel so I'm assuming that there would have been a certain amount of um, maybe changeability um, with the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and just like the East Coast of Canada Or the whole coast of the UK even the Great Lakes of Ontario there was a culture and a way of life that grew up um, along and around the shore of the Sea of Galilee and just for your information um, you know which helps us to see the size of it the the Sea of Galilee would have covered about the same area as Washington DC there's this uh, super interesting TEDx talk by Linnea Sando called What Do Landscapes Tell Us About Our Culture? There's a, and there's another talk by Victoria Walden asking the question, do... Um, do locations or places shape our identity and having lived in north gore for the most part of 20 years i look around and i see how our landscape has shaped our culture how our place has shaped our identity so we have the culture that has You know, grown up around the Rideau River, around Stevens Creek, even the Jock River over in Richmond. We look at the farmland and the silos uh, and, of course, the the Marlborough Forest, all 200 kilometers squared of it. It's huge. It's absolutely massive. And so you just have to hear the sound of the skidoos and the four-wheelers, the side-by-sides and the combines to realize that this place in which we live has shaped who we are especially if you were born or were raised here and the same would have been true of the settlements that grew up along the shores of the Sea of Galilee Um, the the storms and the fish the farmland and the hills would have all shaped the people who were there and i find it intriguing that jesus started his process of meeting and calling his group of disciples on the shore of the sea of galilee that it was in this place between places that jesus called them from the life that they knew represented by the lake and he called them into the life that he was calling them to represented by the land and he used language as he called them that acted as a bridge in between what was known and what was not yet known in between maybe the physical and the spiritual words like this he said come and follow me and i will send you out to fish for people he used language that they understood So that he could communicate a spiritual reality, verse 18, and once they left their nets and followed him. Now, as we're standing on the shore with Jesus in our mind's eye, as he's calling these men from what was to what will be, I want to hone in on this idea of living as amphibians. Now, amphibians, such as frogs, are creatures that live both in the water and on land. In fact, they require both the, the, the water and the land in order to survive. Uh, I, I've mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Stacy and I are reading through a book called resilient by John Eldridge and John Eldridge makes a powerful case in the book that we as humans are amphibious that we are creatures that span both the spiritual and the physical he says it like this he says Christians are designed to live in and enjoy The benefit of two ecosystems two realities the physical and the spiritual the earth and the heavens each world offers graces for human flourishing the natural world is saturated with beauty and beauty nourishes the human soul we are also created to live comfortably in the spiritual world to draw upon the supernatural graces available to us through the rest of God's wonderful kingdom. If you've ever experienced the comfort of God or the love of God, that was heaven coming to you here on earth. You tapped into the rest of God's kingdom for the help, strength, and sustenance you needed. Our created nature is designed to live live in two worlds, drawing our strength From two worlds that's why i call us amphibians but most of us are not tapping into the supernatural graces we can't ignore these and hope to thrive in an hour like this one and then he ends with saying this if you place a frog a true amphibian in a tank of water with no dry place to crawl onto it will die if you place it in a terrarium with no water it will die. Amphibians need both realms to thrive. We cannot hope to find resilience while we ignore the provision that God has for us in the fullness of his beautiful kingdom. And I find that John Eldridge's concept of amphibious living, drawing our strength from two worlds, ties in really beautifully with this moment on the shores of the sea Of Galilee this place in between places where where Jesus calls these four individuals into kingdom living or living in the spirit but using the language that they would have known in the physical realm you you were fishermen now fish for people you were living purely in the physical world which is a good place now start living in the spiritual world too you need both because you are an amphibian and these conversations both with Simon and Andrew who were mending nets and moments later with James and John who are fishing take place on the shoreline in this place in between places. And the beautiful thing is that we see both sets of brothers leave and follow Jesus. And this allows him, this allows Jesus to lead them into this amphibious living that spans both the spiritual world and the physical world. They don't stop being fishermen. It's just that now they are fishing for Jesus. And I think it's this sweet spot of the kingdom of heaven um, that Jesus brings heaven to earth by meeting us in our physical reality where so much of our life takes place, our school runs, our meal prep, our fixed mortgages, our skill sets. He meets us there and he invites us into the tension of of the shoreline to straddle both the physical and the spiritual to live our true identities as people of two worlds and this leads to a tension of sorts and the phrase that we use to explain you know the tension of the call of jesus is known as the good news of the kingdom of heaven the good news of the kingdom of heaven this is the tension where we live you see the gospel is the is the news that heaven and earth met in the person of jesus and that through jesus's death and resurrection he invites us to meet him there and so the gospel or the good news Happens it takes place when we allow heaven to invade earth when the spiritual and the physical meet This is the theme right through the New Testament heaven and earth uh, f- f- First of all as we see here met in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and then heaven and earth met more as Jesus walked around the middle east saying rep- saying repeatedly that the kingdom of heaven was in their midst it was near it was at hand it was right there so Jesus he understood what was happening we then saw you know the message of the good news of the gospel um, reach a crescendo as heaven met earth in the body of jesus hanging on the cross suspended between heaven and earth and then the power came later as heaven came to earth in the person of the holy spirit at pentecost so the whole of the message of the gospels is of heaven coming to earth earth of heaven and earth meeting and this shoreline is a perfect metaphor of this reality the lake that represents what is or the physical and the, and the interior or the hinterland representing what Jesus is calling them to or the spiritual. And so we are stood on this metaphorical shoreline with, with Jesus. And as we stand there, I want us to take a brief look at three truths about the good news or the gospel. And I hope this encourages us as we live in the overlap In between what is and what is to come in between what is physical and what is spiritual what is visible and what is invisible so the first truth of the shoreline is this that the bad news cannot stop the good news I've just explained what the good news is that heaven and earth meet and the and the first truth is that the bad news cannot stop good news and so we back up in our passage to uh, verse 14 and 15 of mark 1 after John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God the time has come he said the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news now we've already heard that Jesus called the four disciples but what you might not realize is the context, which is this: that Jesus' cousin, Jesus' flesh and blood, was put into prison, after which Jesus went into Galilee, He proclaimed, yeah, the gospel and the good news, and it's in this context that he met Simon and Andrew and then James and John. So in anyone's books, John's imprisonment and later death is really bad news. It is bad news of the worst kind. It is bad news that would stop. If it happened to you and someone you love, it would stop you in your tracks. And yet it does not stop the spread of the good news. Now, we're not told what was going on in Jesus' mind at this moment. But the way verse 14 is set up seems to indicate that there is a connection in between John being put in prison and Jesus starting to proclaim the good news. It's almost as if John's imprisonment acts as some sort of a catalyst or an impetus to the start of Jesus' public ministry. Try to wrap your head around that. It seems like the bad news actually started the good news. this makes me wonder about those moments in our life when the bad news of life spurs people on to share the good news of Jesus because surely it's when the news is the worst that people need to hear the news that is the best you know for example my brother-in-law he committed suicide right before our family joined the mission field or what about the stories that i've heard from you about how the hard times of life led to an increased witness or boldness because the lord used your suffering to encourage each other just think about that story you heard from linda this morning or think about horatio and anna spafford their son he, he died from pneumonia in 1871 which is the same year that the great chicago fire destroyed horatio's business as a lawyer M- moving on a couple of years to 1873 horatio spafford sent his family on ahead of him to europe on the uh, liner ville de havre he planned to meet with them in europe a, f- a-, a few days later but he would go on another ship because there was things he had to wrap up in the u.s four days into into the family's voyage their strip their ship struck another ship and, and in only 12 minutes they sank beneath the waves and uh and at least 226 of the 313 passengers were drowned including four in, including horatio's four girls four daughters his his wife anna was rescued and nine days later she arrived in Wales, where she sent Horatio a wired message saying this, and here it is. you can see it on the screen. "Saved alone, what shall I do?" Horatio Spafford took the next ship to Europe, and four days into the journey, yeah, the captain of that ship, he showed him where, where the liner, the Ville de Havre, went where, uh, sunk, along with Horatio's four girls. And it was on this journey that horatio wrote these words of which many of us are very very familiar when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul now i cannot even start to imagine how many lives this hymn has comforted over the past 150 years yet this hymn would not have existed if it were not for the unspeakable loss that Anna and Horatio Spafford went through and so I marvel at the fact that the bad news of life can actually spur people on to share the good news of Jesus and I'm wondering why this is Why does the bad news of life spur us on to share the good news of Jesus maybe it's because the bad news of life strips you of any illusion that this world is anything but a place of suffering and pain and sadness maybe it's because the bad news strips your life of all the frills and the fluff and it gets you down to the brass tacks Maybe bad news makes you realize how short life is and that you do not want to waste another day. Or maybe like Horatio Spafford, this bad news acts as a midwife to bring into being some of the most profound truths of God that you would never have realized otherwise he could only sing, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well, after he encountered the whatever. He had no right to write those words until he encountered the whatever. And so here we see the same with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, that it's, that it's in that moment of loss, it's in that moment of the bad news that the good news gets spread and so not only do we find hope and comfort in the truth that bad news is not able to stop the, the, you know, the good news, we can also take heart in the truth that many times it's the bad news itself that acts as the catalyst for the spreading of the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In essence, uh, Jesus takes what Satan intended to bring us down and ruin us, and he reverse-engineers it so that he can bring us on. He meets us on the shoreline of ourselves, of our lives, and he says, live for a purpose beyond yourself. Now, there are two other points that I wanted to bring home today, but um, I knew as I was writing this that I was running out of time, and so I'll introduce you to at least one of them here, and then you can look into it uh, at your own leisure later. So the first point was this, that the bad news cannot stop the good news. The second point is this, is that global news cannot stop the good news. And here I just want to focus on four words, also in verse 14, the time Has come the time has come the time had come you see from the perspectives of the Jews at that time things weren't great they were under Roman occupation with the client King Herod ruling over them things weren't great at all and yet when you take a step back uh, and 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 you trust in a God who has plans that you do not even know about you can maybe start to see things from a different viewpoint You know, in the average Jew's life, with the Romans there, life was over. But in Jesus' mind, the time had come. Because for the first time in human history, the world stage was set for the spreading of the gospel. And in fact, we would not be here in our faith if it was not for what happened at that moment in time. So why had the time come as, as jesus christ met these four fishermen on the shore of the sea of galilee why had the time come well let me put forward two reasons why and these thoughts aren't original with me a lot has been written about them first of all was the pax romana which means the peace of rome when judea found itself swallowed up by the roman empire this empire that many people hated and rightly so this small nation found itself, ironically, experiencing peace and security like they'd never known. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how Herod the Great won the approval of the Senate in Rome because he took a hard stance against, you know, the brigands and the lawlessness of that region, and the peace that ensued from the rule of the romans was known as the pax romana the peace of Rome. and so it was due to the pax romana linked with this system of roads of roman roads that was crisscrossing all of the roman empire that never before had it been so easy for news to spread so quickly and so safely news could travel fast and safe which meant that the conditions were ripe were absolutely perfect for the spread of the gospel the time had come and the second reason that jesus may have said the time had come is because of the greek language everyone spoke the same language or at least had some sense of this one language the new testament is written in greek and Greek was the trade language. It was the international language, much like English is now today. And so you could see how important it was for you know to have one language to spread concepts and ideas, including the gospel. So we have the Pax Romana and the safety, speed, and security of the Roman roads. And then you've got the ubiquitous Greek language. So the world was ready for the distribution of the gospel. The time had come. And think about this: If Romans weren't in power, then you wouldn't have had the awful, um, you know, torture and execution of the cross, which would be needed to fulfil numerous prophecies. In the Old Testament and fulfillment of prophecies is one of the proof that Jesus is the Messiah so we've got the we have the Pax Romana and we have the Greek language and we have the fulfillment of prophecies that all happened because of the Greek uh, because of the uh, Roman Empire and the Greek language this is why Jesus could say the time has come so as we leave um, Simon and andrew and james and john on the beach the call that they heard also rings in our ears which is come and follow me jesus the man of mystery invites us as we stand on the shoreline of our lives this place in between places to come and follow him he calls us to meet uh, in the space between what we know fishing for fish in the sea of galilee and what is perhaps what we don't know as well fishing for people in the hinterland and which brings us back to to my point at the beginning that we were created to be amphibious to to live dwell in the beauty of god's um god's visible creation as well as residing in the invisible reality of the spiritual realm where souls reside you see until jesus showed up These two sets of two brothers were living for a purpose that ended with themselves. They fished for fish to feed themselves and their families and help the local economy. And none of this is bad. As Simon and Andrew were casting their nets, they were doing what they'd been created to do. And as James and John were fixing or preparing their nets, they were doing what they'd been created to do. They were looking after their own and their their communities on the physical level, in the physical realm. But Jesus called them into more. He called them to care and love for others in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom of God. By saying to them that the kingdom of God has, has reached them, it is here. To show through the preaching of the word accompanied by signs and wonders that the bad news cannot stop. The good news and to show people through the preaching of the word accompanied by signs and wonders not that not only can the bad news not stop the good news but global news cannot stop the good news which is why we have churches but we don't have an international greek language and we don't have an international roman world either Jesus called them to show through their lives and their deaths that it's not just that the bad news cannot stop the good news, but the bad news can actually become the catalyst for the spreading of the good news. So come and follow me. And Jesus called them to prove to people through the later persecution that they would face and the scattering of the gospel that happened as a result that it's not just the, that the global news cannot stop the, the good news but the global news can become the catalyst for the spreading of the good news through the Pax Romana the Roman roads and the Greek language and so Jesus says come and follow me and as Jesus called them to live as amphibians to inhabit this shoreline in between the physical and the spiritual to trade in a purpose that ended with themselves for a purpose that is beyond themselves so he does the same to us this 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 man of mystery who showed up on the shore of galilee who says to a fisherman come follow me knowing full well that he's going to completely upend that person's life is the same jesus who comes to us and says come and follow me What would have happened if Simon Peter had said no? Simon Peter, who was then the rock upon which the church had been built. What would have happened if Andrew had said no? If James and John had said no? Imagine if they'd said no to living in their identity as amphibians spanning the physical and the spiritual, the the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Imagine what would have happened. Where would we be? And yet they said yes. And so I'd like us to uh, close this sermon as we, maybe you you can close your eyes and I'd like to read a poem to you by um, a UK poet and writer called Adrian Plass. And this will uh, end our message and then we'll close with a worship song. But here we go, listen to this and if it helps you to focus, then you can close your eyes. Those of us who have mapped out the The geography of ourselves know what a dispiriting exercise this can be we we start off okay marching boldly toward the edge of our talent or our goodwill or our patience or our generosity and then suddenly we are brought up short by a precipice usually at the point where we were just beginning to believe that the firm ground would go on forever setting off in a different direction we find that exactly the same thing happens in fact it happens again and again and again until we learn that there is a shape and a limit to what we are for some this is a welcome piece of learning settle down and get on with it they would say but for others those with the blood of explorers in their veins it is a kind of prison a kind of island We we look for enough compassion to truly care about the world and we find a pathetic limited ability to place our arms around the suffering of others. We search for the strength of will to set ourselves and those we hate free from the chains of resentment and bitterness only to find weakness and a cherishing of hurts. We, We hunt within our hearts for the courage to fight When everything within us wants to lie down and for the obedience to wait quietly while we're full of anger, but we discover instead a self-indulgence that will have what it is greedy for. We stand on the shore of our own lives. We're calling out to God that we can go nowhere unless he provides a way.